It's already been wonderful to be here, hasn't it? Amen. Let's take our Bible and turn to the book of Mark, chapter 2. The Gospel according to Mark, chapter number 2. It's good to be back with you here on Sunday night. Of course, last Sunday night I was in uh, Townsend, uh, performing a wedding for Callie and Brody. And although that is a religious um, ceremony and uh, you could say service, it is good to be back here tonight. Amen. I was thinking while the choir was singing, I was enjoying the Lord. I was enjoying worshiping Him. And it's good to be here with you. It's, uh, there's a good spirit here tonight. Amen. I appreciate getting to watch uh, Matthew get baptized. Thinking about the work that God is no doubt doing in his life, it's wonderful, isn't it? I was even thinking, watching Jason, the work that God is doing in his life. And God would take a man and uh, work on him and uh, lead him, guide him, and then have him up there first being baptized himself and then uh, God using him to baptize others. We're seeing God's work before our eyes, amen? We're thankful to be a part of it and to see it and to witness it. And I hope and pray and Thankfully, you, you being here tonight as well is a, is a work of God in your life. You're here tonight because of the work of God in your life. Now, I don't, uh, I don't believe in karma. I believe in God's providence. I believe in His sovereignty. I believe He is the rightful ruler and all-powerful uh, King of all the universe. And tonight, you are here, irregardless of what you decided God could have arranged the circumstance for this appointment. He could have done it before you were ever even born. Before you were in, Jeremiah said, before I was even in my mother's womb, he knew me. And so tonight you say, well, I'm here tonight because I decided to be here. Well, if you are even alive tonight, it's because God decided to keep you alive. (laughs) If you are walking around tonight, it's because God allows it. And so irregardless of, uh, of our perceived opinion, of our of our ability to get here or the reasons for us being here tonight. We are here tonight because of the mercy and the grace of Almighty God. Amen. And it's wonderful that He's allowed us to come here tonight to sing and to worship Him and to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. It's a privilege to be here. Mark chapter number 2, verse number 13. If you're there, say amen. Amen. The call of Matthew. Mark 2, verse 13. The Bible says, And he went forth again by the seaside, and all the multitude resorted unto him, and he taught them. Now keep in mind, this is a series of sermons of the book of Mark. The scene before this was Jesus healing the man carried, born of four, who he forgave of his sins, and to prove that he could forgive sins, he healed him from being paralyzed. And so the Bible says in verse 14, As he passed by, So imagine the crowd, the scene around the Lord. He passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the receipt of custom. We know him as Matthew, and Matthew is a tax collector. He's sitting at the receipt of custom. That's like a place, that's a booth. And Matthew is there collecting, as a Jew, he's collecting Jewish tax dollars to be given into Rome. And he's rewarded handsomely for this service that he's providing Rome But Matthew, of course, is the most hated, most reviled, most 
most, most resisted person in his community. They despise him. He is the, the outcast, outcast Matthew. The worst of the worst think that he is the worst of the worst. He is a traitor to his nation. Tax collectors were known to, to tax a certain amount that Rome designated, and then any other amount they decided to tax could be, could be uh, kept in their pocket. It was for them to be rewarded and incentivized to continue to tax their own people. He's a sellout, in other words. He's getting money from you to tax, for you to tax Rome. And so they hate him. When I say hate, I don't use it loosely. They hate him. They, the only reason he's still alive is because Rome protects him. They despise him politically. They despise him morally. They hate him more than anything that you could ever dream. They despise him. They hate him with a capital H. Do you understand? They absolutely revile him. And so Jesus passes by, and he sees him. Levi, the son of Alphaeus, in verse 14, standing at the receipt of custom. And Jesus goes to this man, and Jesus says, follow me. Now, if you, if you was there on that scene, if you witnessed that, you would come to this conclusion that Jesus really does love sinners. Because this man is the sinner of sinners, according to sinners. I mean, if you're, if you're a sinner... Well, if you're a sinner in Galilee, you think, you think that Matthew is the sinner. If you're, if you're a prostitute in Galilee, you think less of Matthew. If you are a, a pedophile in, around the Sea of Galilee, you think he is worse than you. And Jesus says, follow me. Jesus loves sinners. Now, even that interaction gives, us, gives any of us a tremendous amount of hope tonight. Now, I hope you didn't, we didn't come in here on our high horse, and I hope that it, it, we didn't come in here as if we're not as bad as others, because all of sin comes short of the glory of God. And I sure do appreciate the leadership of the Holy Spirit in the life of Bryson that we sung that song that we sung, He died for such a worm as I. Amen? Now, I know you might be dignified, and you think, well, I'm not like that. Yes, you are. Compared to the righteousness of God, your righteousness is as filthy, dirty rags. Amen? So don't, deep, don't be deceived. Don't, don't judge yourself based upon other people. Judge yourself according to the righteousness of God. And from that perspective, for such a worm as I. Jesus loves sinners. He loves them dearly. He doesn't just love them in word. He loves them by dying on the cross for their sins. That he would, he would, he would give, he would give his, bow his sacred head for them. That he would be nailed to a tree for Matthew. And Jesus wants Matthew to follow him. That gives every one of us hope, doesn't it? I love the gospel of Jesus Christ. For all of us are needy, and all of us are the same. And the only difference is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that declares sinners righteous through his righteousness and then makes them righteous through his power in their life. But it's not any of us that do it. 
We can't boast in it. Follow me, Jesus says. And what does Matthew do in verse 14? He arose and followed him. Now this is not without controversy though. Because remember, they hate Matthew, but Jesus don't. Verse 15, and it came to pass that as Jesus said at meat in his house. So Jesus, now he's going to go on the wrong side of the social judgment that Matthew's been receiving. And so Jesus, he goes to Matthew's house. In verse 15, it came to pass that as Jesus said at meat in his house, many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples. So now, now it's not just Matthew, it's, it's Matthew's friends. And if you're Matthew, the only friends you have are other tax collectors. You don't have any other friends. You don't, there's the, the worst sinners aren't going to be your friends. The only friends you have are other tax collectors. So Jesus is sitting with who? He's sitting in a crowd of the most hated people on earth. They hate them. They hate them. They hate them. Hate them completely. Utterly, perfectly, they hate them. And Jesus is sitting with them. Verse 16, And the scribes of Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, and they said unto his disciples, How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? Now what they're trying to do, they're trying to discredit Jesus, Jesus through the, in the opinion of the disciples. They're trying to sow discord among the brethren. And that's what the devil does, and he still does it today. And so the, they ask the disciples, how can you follow Jesus? That's what they're saying. How can you follow Jesus when Jesus is eating in a room with publicans and sinners? Because back then, the Jews, you couldn't touch a tax collector. You couldn't go in his house. You couldn't have a conversation with him. You couldn't hang out with him. You couldn't. The only interaction you have with a tax collector was him taking your money. So not only are you don't like that, but they have been dehumanized. There is no interaction with tax collectors. You ever notice when you talk to somebody on a road trip, imagine no matter who they are, no matter what they've done, you find out really that they're really not that much different from you. But the Jews have arranged a culture where they, the tax collectors have been dehumanized. They, you can't even talk to them. So the only interaction you have with Matthew and his buddies is when, you, when he takes your money and he takes extra for himself. Oh, and by the way, he's got a nicer house than you. He's got a nicer car than you. His kids go to private school and you... You scrape and you scrounge and you fight and you claw to get through life and those people are living high on the hog and you're barely making it. And they're Jews like you are. They hate them. And Jesus is in their house eating a hamburger. And the Pharisees ask, why, why is Jesus doing this? Verse 17, and Jesus heard it and he said unto them, they that are whole, they not a physician." but they that are sick. Jesus said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Our Heavenly Father tonight, we love the gospel, and Lord, we appreciate even this passage of scripture. And God, I pray that we can see it clearly tonight. And Lord, maybe there's a heart like Matthew, who feels like Matthew, who understands Matthew. Lord, maybe there's also some scribes and Pharisees who can identify with them. And Lord, maybe they feel like they have no need of you, the physician. They think they're whole. 
Lord, help them. They're the furthest from the kingdom of God. They're the furthest from you, Lord, because you came not to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Lord, I pray you'll work on both ends of, the night, of this room tonight. You'll help us. And Lord, your gospel will be preached and heard and received and believed upon. And Lord, you'll get all the credit and the glory for it all. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So Matthew was called in verse 14. And a few, few months ago, I don't know how long it was, but I preached a sermon about the call of Matthew. And if you remember in that sermon, I was kind of going through my memory bank today. I, re- I remember mentioning something like this, that, that Matthew, Levi, Matthew, he was willing to give up everything, everything to be a tax collector. He gave up every relationship. He, he, he gave up everything just to be a tax collector. So he's committed to being a tax collector, isn't he? I mean, he's devoted to being a tax collector. I mean, if somebody suffers for what they're going through, whether they're right or wrong, it proves that they really do care about it. And so suffering don't make it righteous, but suffering does prove they're really committed to this. And Matthew's really committed to this. I mean, he's so committed to it that he's willing to be a tax collector to be a tax collector. Do you understand that? And he's given up everything. So nobody could change his mind. That's what it seems. Mama couldn't change his mind. Social pressure couldn't change his mind. I mean, the synagogue couldn't change his mind. The rabbi couldn't change his mind. The the religious culture couldn't change his mind. He don't care what you think. He, He wanted to be one. He gave up everything to do it. I don't know his motivation. Maybe he hates people himself. Maybe his heart is so bitter and cruel that he'll do, he'll be an antagonist. He's so cynical, maybe. He's the anti-everything. And his heart is like that to the point he's willing to just do that to prove I'm against everybody. Maybe he's a nonconformist, maybe. Maybe he's a, maybe he's just, it's anarchy all the time. And sometimes if we're not careful, our heart is so deceitfully wicked, we don't even really like what we're doing. We just like going against the grain. But it seems like, and I want to qualify that, that the whole world seems like they're rebels, but the real rebel is the one who repents and believes the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? So Matthew is committed to being a tax collector. That is beyond question. Nobody can stop him from being a tax collector. Nobody can change him. Nobody can change his life until Jesus walked by. So there must be something going on here. That Jesus has some authority to speak into Matthew's life. That Jesus can do something that nobody else can do. That Jesus can have some authority greater than the authority of Rome or the authority of Israel or the authority of his parents, the authority of his school buddies. Jesus has the power to just speak to Matthew who gave up everything to be one, and now Jesus just as as a passerby comes to the receipt of custom and says, follow me. And Matthew follows him. What is going on? What is happening to Matthew? We, We could say it this way then. So it's not human, is it? It's not, it's, not, it's not natural, is it? 
Because natural is, I'm going to be a tax collector. I'm going to be a tax collector so bad, I'm going to be a tax collector. I don't care what you think. Maybe he's an anarchist. Maybe he's a nonconformist. Maybe he had a bad childhood. Maybe he's mad at his dad. Maybe his mom did him wrong. Maybe there's a bunch of people that did him wrong. For whatever reason, I don't know. But he is committed going down this path because everybody hates him. Everybody. Let's say he did it for the love of money. That even proves the point even more. He's willing to do everything for money, and then when Jesus comes by, he's willing to drop it all and lose all of his money. He's willing to give up everything that he gave up everything for. Jesus has the power to make sinners give up everything that they gave up everything for. And he just said, what, just follow me? That's it? What is happening to Matthew? What is happening? The, what is happening to Matthew, you might ask? Jesus is happening to Matthew. He sees him. He hears him. Christ, the Lord Jesus, the, who has all power in heaven and in earth. This, this, this look, this affection, this affection, this effect with an A, that Jesus Christ is having some influence on Matthew that nobody else could have. Nobody could do what Jesus is doing in Matthew's life. What are we seeing in the book of Mark? That Jesus Christ can do what Matthew was willing to give up everything for, but at the word of Christ, Matthew just gave it all away. He either gave all of his money away, he was rich for doing it, or he was so committed to being a tax collector to give up everything for it, just at the word of the Lord Jesus Christ, Matthew gave it all away. Jesus has supernatural power to call sinners out of darkness into the light. He has that influence on hearts. I put a, put a mark in my Bible in John chapter 6, verse number 44. No man can come to me except my Father which hath sent me draw him. Now we, we do know that God, the Holy Ghost, has great influence on the heart. And anybody that's ever been born again, like Matthew, and how do we know that Matthew, one of the evidences that Matthew's been born again is that Matthew, who gave up everything to be a tax collector, now gives up everything to follow Jesus. That God was working in Matthew's life and overcoming Matthew's desires who was influencing his mind, his heart, his desires and the work of God in Matthew's life. And Jesus comes along and he says, follow me. I want to encourage you tonight that maybe through the work of God, and nobody knew what was going on in Matthew's life, like I don't know what's going on in your life. And from the human eye, I can't tell a thing. But maybe God has been working in your life. And maybe God has been influencing you. And maybe God has been calling you. And maybe God has been saying, give all of this up, everything you've ever wanted, everything you've earned, whatever you've given up everything for, the Holy Spirit is saying, give it all up and follow Jesus. This call of Christ, this supernatural work of God in the human heart, that's the only way I can explain it. I was a sinner, had no desire for God, had no interest in God. I couldn't even see God. I had an intellectual understanding of God. I knew there was a God, but I didn't know that I needed to know Him intimately. 
I had no clue I needed Him as my Savior. I had no understanding that I was doomed and damned. I had no concept of everlasting life. I was going my own way, doing my own thing, choosing my own path, serving my own interests, fulfilling my own desires, walking according to the course of this world, fulfilling all the desires of my lust and my flesh, and I was even by nature the children of disobedience. But God, who is rich in mercy, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So what's your testimony, Josh? It's simply this. Follow me. Follow me. And by the grace of God, I said yes and followed Jesus in the way. God has a better plan for your life than the plans that you have. God has a better way than the way that you're walking. And in the person of Jesus Christ, if you have no friends and you have no life and you have no purpose and you feel like you have no meaning and you feel like that this is all there is in this life, so you might as well eat, drink, be merry, do whatever you want, go anywhere you want to go because all of it is meaningless and purposeless. Maybe through the through the bankruptcy of that thinking, that tonight the gospel of Jesus Christ in your heart by the power of the Holy Ghost is saying, follow Jesus. Repent and believe the gospel. Jesus said, no man can come to me except my Father which is in heaven, first drawing, and maybe tonight that's happening to some of us. It appears so random, don't it? Why Matthew? God had a plan for Matthew's life, obviously, didn't he? He wrote the book of Matthew. And God has a plan for your life too. And if God is calling you, surrender all and follow him. Amen? He loves you. He loves you. Now, Jesus, of course, goes to a dinner that night and he's sitting sitting with sinners And the scribes and the Pharisees, in verse number 16, they ask, how is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? How quick they are to criticize him, amen? They won't hear his words. They won't see his miracles. But they're so quick to criticize him. They're more concerned that some social rule has been broken. And see, that's what mostly religion is, isn't it? It doesn't really care about people. Just as long as you follow some sort of social tradition, then you're good, right? But we sin by our traditions, don't we? And that sure don't make us right with God. Just because we wear a certain type of clothes or talk with a certain dialect or maybe say something with a certain tone, we think that maybe we'll fit in. But the question is, is not should I fit in with society? That's really not important, is it? Is do I fit in with heaven? That's really most important of it all, isn't it? And so these religious leaders, they're more upset that Jesus is breaking some social some social rule, and they're more concerned about that than Jesus healing a man that was cared for, that was paralyzed, or Jesus hanging out and eating with people that they don't like. It sounds like a lot today, don't it? Now, these are Matthew's friends. Now, I don't know where Jesus can eat that he's not eating with sinners, because whoever Jesus eats with, he's eating with sinners. Amen. Whoever he eats with, he's eating with sinners. doesn't matter who. doesn't matter if you're a tax collector or a Pharisee. 
Wherever Jesus eats a bologna sandwich, he's eating next to a sinner. He's the only one at homecoming that ain't a sinner. That's it. Everybody at the homecoming dinner needs Jesus. Amen? Don't matter where he sits, he's sitting with sinners. Now, we've got to be careful here, because sometimes we can, you know, like I say, there's a ditch on both sides of the road. And, and some people use this scene in Jesus' life to excuse their own sins, as if Jesus sitting beside sinners is in some way condoning their sin. But remember that Jesus is sitting with sinners, and he's not sinning with sinners. There's a, there's a very big difference there, isn't there? He's just sitting with them. He's not sinning with them. And sometimes people view this scene, and there can be pharisaical even in their own observation of this text, because they're imposing their own social values upon this passage of Scripture. They're no different than the Pharisees. And sometimes being an outcast is somewhat pharisaical, isn't it? You've created your own social norms. You've become a scribe in your own right, haven't you? Now, you're really not any better than the Pharisees. You might not be a religious person, but hey, I know a lot of religions that don't know Jesus because that's not really that what's important, is it? And sometimes, no matter what you are, who you are, what you subscribe to, who you hang around, what your circle is, if you try to impose your culture on, on Jesus' behavior, whether either side of it, you're doing what the Pharisees are doing instead of focusing on what Christ has came to do. And so Jesus is setting with sinners but he's not setting with, he's not sinning with sinners. Look at verse 17. What, look what he calls them. He's in their presence. So the Pharisees, they said, what are you doing setting with sinners? But look what Jesus says. He said, they that are whole need not a physician. What is Jesus saying while he's sitting next to sinners? These people are sick. That's what he's saying. These people are on the wrong path. These people are going the wrong way. Jesus is saying while he's sitting in a crowd of sinners that these people are sinners. That's what he's telling the Pharisees. He's rebuking them, but also shining light on the crowd that's around him. He's saying, hey, you all don't even know how bad you are. But listen how bad these people are. Do you see what he's doing? So you can't say, hey, I can do what I because Jesus, Jesus said with sinners. He didn't sin with sinners. Look what Jesus is saying. Verse 17, Jesus said, they that are whole need not a physician. He's saying, these people are sick, but they that are sick. These people are sick. They are spiritually sick, and that's why I'm sitting with them. <laughs> you see it? These people are sick, and that's why I'm sitting with them. He's a physician, and he goes to a hospital. If a man worked at the library and he said, I'm a doctor, I'd say, I don't know about that. You look like a librarian to me. Jesus is the great physician. And he's setting with sinners because they're sick. Let's look at the whole over, let's look at the 10,000 foot view of this. Jesus came to die on a cross. Since Jesus, who is sinless, came to die on a cross, that means everybody's a sinner. That means everybody that's ever lived is a sinner. Because if it wasn't true, Jesus wouldn't die on a cross. Jesus didn't die on a cross for people on Jupiter. He didn't die on a cross for people who live on Pluto. He didn't die on a cross for fish. He came and took upon himself the form of a servant. He, it behooved him to be like the children of Abraham. He came to die for you. What does that make you then? If the Savior is dying for you and he's paying for what, that means you're the sinner, don't it? And I'm the sinner. So Jesus said, hey, look, you all don't even know what you're talking about, but I came to sit with these sick people. 
He's sitting with them, but he's not sinning with them. He's calling them to righteousness. Let's go a little further, and I'm about through. They that are whole need not a physician. Now remember, he's in, he's in there with them. He don't say, hey, let's excuse the room so I can really tell the truth. He's in there with them, but they that are sick. He said, I come not to call the righteous. What's he saying? These people are unrighteous. These people have no righteousness. They have none. You know, Jesus gets everybody because at one point he said, unless your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll in no wise enter therein. But, these, but to the scribes and the Pharisees in this occasion, he's saying, you all think you're not even sick, but you are. What is Jesus saying? Unless you have perfect righteousness, you will in no wise enter into the kingdom of God. Listen carefully. Unless you have utter, perfect righteousness, you will die and bust hell wide open. Unless you have absolute, perfect righteousness, you will be judged by God at the day of judgment. Unless you have perfect righteousness, you will not have everlasting life. Well, that's a problem, isn't it? Because none of us have righteousness. And none of us will ever have righteousness. So then how do I get the righteousness that I need? Through the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. If we hadn't a few more weeks and we didn't have to take bathroom breaks, and we didn't have to eat supper. We could, do, we could expound and learn about the great truth of the epistle to the Christians who are in Rome, the book of Romans, where Paul says that there's none righteous, and he gives this, gives this uh, wonderful essay proving there is none that doeth good, no, not one. There is none righteous from religious people to pagan people to moral people. Nobody's righteous. And then Paul says in the halfway through Romans chapter 3 that the righteousness of God comes through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That God, through faith in His Son, puts righteousness on your account. So what are we trusting in Jesus? Here's what happens when you trust in Jesus Christ. is that when He died on the cross, you, you died in Jesus Christ. Your sins died in Christ. He paid your debt. He suffered for your iniquity. He received your judgment. He took your punishment on Mount Calvary. It wasn't his sin. It was your sin and my sin. And when someone trusts in Jesus Christ, they're trusting that God has provided a way. That God has given His Son. That God has offered a lamb. That God has made a way for sinners to be right with God because your punishment was imputed, placed upon, received in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when you say yes to Jesus Christ, you receive the righteousness of God by faith 
through the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, I, that seems rather complicated. Here's, here's the answer to that complication, maybe. You don't have to figure everything out to come to Jesus Christ. Amen? Like I say it sometimes, I don't have to figure out electricity, but I'm, gonna, I'm not going to live in the dark. I'm going to turn the light switch on. I don't have to know, you don't have to know everything about the Bible to come to Jesus Christ. It's simply this. Follow Jesus. Come to Christ. But He alone is the only way. That's repentance. And believe upon Him. There's your Savior. And have everlasting life through the righteousness of God, which is by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see the gospel? Do you see it? I pray you see it. I know, and by the way, He arose from the dead. And those who trust in Him will live forevermore because you'll have everlasting life through His life that will never end. Amen? Jesus is setting with sinners. He's not sinning with sinners. He calls them sick. He says they're in need of a physician. He says they are unrighteous. And then lastly says, I come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And what is he saying? He has a wonderful, loving way. He's not condemning them because they're already condemned, but he's telling those who can't see it so the ones who can see it can understand that he came. Hey, everybody, here's what he's saying. All of us are sin-sick and in need of a Savior. And to prove his his amazing love, he came to the most hated man in town and says, follow me and I'll give you the righteousness that you need. I can not only save but then sanctify the life of Matthew who you all hate so much but I alone have the power to do what Matthew and you could never accomplish in his life. That's what Jesus is saying. Maybe tonight you're like Matthew. Maybe tonight you understand. Maybe tonight you see for the first time why Jesus came into the world. He came to save sinners from their sins. I am a low-down, dirty, rotten dog. And I am what I am by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So how could you say that? I have no righteousness. I boast in nothing. I brag in nothing except in the shed blood of Jesus Christ for my sins. That's it. You're looking at just, just a sinner that experienced the grace of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, I can the, the, not only that, but He not only saves, but then He indwells the life of those who believe on it. And I can testify that He's kept me from sin and He's still cleaning sin out of me and I know He's going to complete His finished work and I can't wait to see the day when I see Him with my own eyes and see the good work that God began by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. He said, what do I got to do to come to Jesus? Just come to Jesus. So you don't know who I am. Yeah, I guess Matthew could say that too, Amen. Follow him. Repent and believe the gospel. Let's stand to our feet tonight. What song, Bryson? Page number 81.
What is repentance? Here's what it is. Lord, help me to explain it. Here's repentance. It's coming to this understanding. Repentance in the Bible is not sinless perfection. There is no perfect repentance on this side of heaven. Repentance is this. I'm on the wrong path. I'm heading the wrong direction. I've been wrong. I am wrong. I've imposed my own social ideas. I've asserted my own, my own opinions. I've been on the wrong path. And now I understand that I'm wrong. With this understanding comes this. Faith. I'm wrong, but I want to be right. I'm wrong, but I want to be healed. I want to be saved. Oh no, I'm in trouble. What do I do? Here's faith. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And he will take your wrong condition. He will take your, your broken life because you come to that understanding and he will begin to do a work in you of righteousness and mercy and healing and forgiveness and compassion and love and purpose and meaning that you could never do without Him. He'll change your heart. He'll give you a new nature. You'll have new desires. You won't be perfect, but you won't want to go that way no more. You won't want to walk down those paths no more because He will give you a new heart. He'll give you a new life. That's why Jesus said, Nicodemus, you must be born again because your life as it is is no life at all. You must be born again. I wonder tonight if there's somebody like Matthew who don't have all the answers to everything, like me and you and the rest of us, and Jesus is just passing by. And by the call of Christ in your heart tonight, he says, why don't you just drop whatever you've been holding on to? Why don't you repent and understand how sick and needy and unrighteous you are? And why don't you come to Jesus Christ by faith? Call on his name. Faith will cry out. Faith will have a conversation with him. Faith will say, I'm sorry, Lord. Faith will say, save me. Faith will say, Lord, be my Lord and Savior. That's what faith will do. And tonight, if that's you, I'd follow Jesus. Let's sing together. If there's a need, I'd love to help you if I can. If I can chat with you, I'd love to help you.